0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going to happen
1: tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to this <laughs> Morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Uh, not great offensive basketball time. A win is still a win time. Maybe, maybe that should be the focus time. Actually, no, there, you, you, you got to focus on fixing that offense too. Time that was that was hard to watch. Time whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the GoValls Twenty Four Seven Podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a very very pleasant. Very unseasonably warm, very warm Tuesday afternoon here in God's Own, Knoxville, Tennessee at Fort Rucker Studio, just a couple miles away from Thompson Bowling Arena, where Tennessee will not be until Saturday. The Vols will be uh, in the state capitol at uh, Old, 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 and I love it, but most people don't, and I understand why, Memorial Gymnasium playing the Vanderbilt Commodores. They're good friends from the capital of this very fair state. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern tip there. The Vols dropped from two to six in the polls after going one and one last week, uh, and even the the win made some people go, "eh, eh." So we got a lot to talk about with that, and we 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 actually would have had this podcast on Monday, but we had the first of the the Diamond Vols podcasts uh, with Ben McKee, uh, which is Ben's going to be hosting those. I'll join him for some of them or a lot of them or just however it goes. But we had that one on Monday and he spoke with Connor Pavloni Tennessee's former catcher now with the Orioles. Lots of good stuff there. Uh, so that's why this one's Tuesday instead of Monday because we had that one Monday, uh, but we'll also have Ben in this one. So we'll go on over to Ben McKee's house and get to Ben McKee. Now, Benjamin, what's going on?
2: Not a whole lot. Very busy because baseball is 10 days away and basketball is in a very important stretch right now. Uh, this, this week is not necessarily what next week is. Next week, you welcome Alabama uh, on Wednesday night, the day after Valentine's Day for a date between two rivals and Alabama, arguably the best team in the country. I do believe that they're the best team in the SEC at the moment.
1: I think their fastball is the best for sure.
2: So that, that'll be a really fun game. And then on Saturday, you go to Lexington. A, it's a rivalry game. <laughs> not a whole lot needs to be said about Tennessee, Kentucky on the basketball court in general. But that game has a little extra meaning because of what took place a couple of weeks ago in Thompson Bowling when Kentucky came in here and, and beat Tennessee on Chris Lofton Day. Uh, so it, it's not necessarily what next week will be with with Alabama and Kentucky, but hey, Vanderbilt, I don't think that they're a bad team. I don't think that they're a good team, but they do do some things really well uh, on the offensive end, and Tennessee better be locked in and ready to play. Uh, Liam Robbins gave Tennessee issues in in the Mm -hmm. first matchup, and we'll touch on that Vanderbilt rematch in the second segment of this podcast. But uh, a a sneaky game. Uh, I I would say it's a trap game just because of that gymnasium, like you mentioned, and a rivalry game, and, and they do do some things well. Uh, and then Saturday, uh, a Missouri team that that did lose this past weekend, but uh, a Missouri team that I've been really impressed with this season, uh, with Dennis Gates and his first season. They're 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 sneaky good as well. And and Tennessee will have to be ready to play from the jump in that one on Saturday. So a uh, big opportunity for the basketball team coming up. Not just these next two weeks, but to to finish out the season. Uh, you got a trip to Texas A and M coming up. Uh, you've got Arkansas coming to town, and you've got a trip to Auburn to end the regular season, March fourth. The only gimme game left on the schedule is South Carolina on February 25th, and and Vandy maybe a, a gimme game, but I don't think it's a hundred percent set in stone that Tennessee will beat Vanderbilt. Like I actually do believe it's a hundred percent set in stone Tennessee will beat that South Carolina team at home here in a couple of weeks. So it's busy. As uh, Tennessee basketball hit, hits the stretch here, <laughs> Wes, uh, with the NCAA tournament approaching. And then look, Tennessee baseball, uh, they get going here in, in 10 days. And just to share a thought or two on how we're going to do the Diamond Balls podcast this season. Uh, this is my fourth season dedicating a podcast solely to Tennessee baseball. Uh, a, because I love doing it, B, because the team now demands it and it, it is very warranted. So, Uh, I I take a lot of pride in doing that pod and and Wes, you will be on there with me a ton, practically every single one. Uh, But obviously having Pav on there was, was a little bit different, uh, a lot going on with basketball and wanted to get him on because he's been working out preparing for his upcoming minor league season while the current roster is also getting ready for its season. So he knows the roster better than you, me or anybody practically outside of the coaches. So that's why we wanted Pav on for that first one, but moving forward, Uh, Wes will be joining me on on that pod, and uh, we we probably won't go heavy with the Diamond Balls podcast until really uh, conference play starts, or at at least till basketball season ends. We're we're still going to turn them out, but we're we're still going to produce them and and have some content going in, in that sphere. But it'll it'll probably be one a week uh, until basketball season ends, or at least until conference play starts, and maybe honestly the the week after conference play because you open up with Missouri, and that should be a nice little three game sweep for the Vols, and and then that's when life gets real, Uh, and you welcome Texas A and M to town, uh, which if Tennessee basketball does what it's supposed to do, uh, that is. The weekend of the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, so uh, basketball should be going up until that time of the year as well, and then hopefully they'll make a Final Four run, and uh, that, that'll coincide the the following week when Tennessee goes down for goes down to Baton Rouge to take on preseason number one LSU, which will be really fun. So uh, probably one Diamond Balls podcast a week up until uh, kind of that. Time of year, end of March, but uh, as you can certainly already see, baseball will not be neglected. Baseball and basketball, very important to us over at Go Balls Two Four Seven, and, and we will cover it as so. And my last thought, Wes, uh, on this long monologue to open up the pod that I that I threw a curveball at you with is I'm with you Memorial Gymnasium. I, I like Memorial. I, I do. Is it the most? Um. I mean, it's it is an eyesore to to some extent, but I I kind of like it. That that that's what college athletics is, right? It, it's yes. it's a lot of quirkiness. And, and Memorial Gymnasium, it fits that billing. It, it, it's quirky and uh, it, it's not. College basketball isn't always supposed to be some super nice twenty thousand seat NBA arena. There, there's supposed to be some quirkiness uh, involved with arenas, just like there is with with football stadiums and college football. So I like the the kind of the the change up from what we're used to seeing what we're used to seeing these brand new Arenas with Auburn and Ole Miss and Thompson Bowling is certainly nice and, and Rupp has been renovated and Alabama's about to have a brand new uh, arena as well I kind of like the curveball I, I like the switch up and, and go in with something quirky and and funky kind of like the old days
1: yeah I, I I just think I think it fits that University I think it fits the the quirkiness of, of that program being in the league you know I I just think it's really really old and and there's not a lot of just super super old gyms and field houses left so I I cherish the ones that are still there and and I know it it gives Vanderbilt a bit of an advantage uh, with, with getting used to coaching or, or playing in there with the, the this the the court and everything and the coaches being on the end. But you know how many disadvantages Vanderbilt has in this league to begin with. So whatever, I mean, it's fine. I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, it's interesting, but I, I'm I'm glad that you said all that stuff. That was a lot of a lot of good stuff. You also said doo-doo twice, and I I didn't I didn't respond immediately even though I badly wanted to, I, I did not. I'm actually trying to talk maybe a little bit less because as you can still tell, uh, it's been no secret that uh, I've been having a little bit of that, a little bit of that pneumonia and ain't nobody got time for that the past month. So my voice is still a little bit, I feel fine mostly, but my, my voice is still just battling back a little bit. So um, it's all good. We got a lot to talk about and we will talk a lot in the second segment about, about this week ahead. What it means for Tennessee, the the challenges that are presented, um, but I do want to say that I am uh, very excited about you bringing your Diamond Balls podcast over to our feed, um, which is one of the thirty five hundred reasons that we wanted to hire you because I listened to that last year and it was always very, very, very good, and uh, looking forward to to having that in the mix with our stuff this year. That's going to be a lot of fun. Before we move on, though, we do need to discuss. Uh, Tennessee's rock fight with Auburn over the weekend. Um, I, I For those of you who read Go Balls 24-7, uh, if you don't just listen to the feed, if you actually read the site too, uh, then you'll probably know a lot of my thoughts on it. Uh, I, I don't think you apologize for wins ever. To me, that's rule number one in sports. Like rule number one in sports for me is don't apologize uh, for for any win ever in any sport in any facility ever for any reason. Uh to me, it's it's the most to me, it's like more important than sportsmanship, basically. (laughs) Rule number one is if you win, you don't apologize, you move on. Um, so maybe Tennessee you don't apologize, but you also don't gloat after that because it wasn't quite the eyesore that Tennessee Georgetown a decade ago was um but it was it was rough. It was the lowest scoring game in history between two SEC teams. Uh, it, it was it was gross. it had a little bit of a controversy there at the end, although I think that all came out in the wash. I think both teams kind of got hosed in the final twenty seconds there with calls. I think Auburn only got the ball back with a chance to tie because it got away with a foul and then Olivier Cumwa got away with what I think most of us would probably say is a foul, although you can't really put things uh, in a in a box and just talk about them by themselves in a vacuum. I, I think, Auburn did that leg-whipping thing and that flopping all day long. Tennessee was begging the refs to call it. The refs finally called it in the second half. And then from then, Auburn kept doing it, but the refs weren't giving them that anymore. And I think the refs were just saying, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. And so Wendell Green Jr. did not get the call there at the end, and the game went on. So I think that all came out in the wash in the final 20 seconds. Um, but I-, I think there is – Ample room for concern, Ben, and I think that's fine. I also think it's a little bit exaggerated because uh, this defense is so good that if you count this team out, you're you're being foolish, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I think so, too. Before we have that conversation yet again about <laughs> the offensive struggles, the, the conversation that we cannot avoid this season, unfortunately. I, I do want to talk about that final play and – And I'll first start before I get into that about uh, feeling good about a win over Bruce Pearl, because those have been few and far between over the course of of Rick Barnes's tenure uh, here at Tennessee. And I, I think only amplifying that is the fact that not only has he struggled against Bruce Pearl, but. They they've had some pretty bad losses to to Bruce Pearl as yeah. well. I, I think back to the SEC tournament a couple of years ago, <sighs> that was uh, the the year that they went to the Sweet Sixteen, the Grant Admiral team. Uh, they they played Auburn in the title game. Uh, the the day after they had that awesome win over Kentucky and Lamonte had the clutch shot there at the end. Uh, a whole lot of emotions were poured out on that Saturday, and they come back on Sunday. And they just absolutely laid an egg. Uh, that that Auburn team, and I believe that was the Auburn team that made the Final Four that year. Mm-hmm. They they just absolutely smacked Tennessee down. I mean, it, it was just an ugly basketball game. And uh, th- there's been, uh, I want to say, there was another blowout at, at one point w- with Auburn. Bruce's come back in here. Uh, I when he first got to Auburn and, and won with a lesser team. Uh, yeah. Then then there was the the year. It might have been the the same year that they lost in the SEC tournament where Tennessee ended the regular season at Auburn and that game came down to the wire. And I want to say that the SEC, a co-share of the SEC regular season title was on the line and Tennessee lost that game there in Auburn that day. So all that to say, anytime you beat Bruce Pearl and his Auburn team, and look, it's a good Auburn team too, if if Tennessee beats Vanderbilt forty six to forty three tomorrow night, like it did Auburn, then I, I don't know. I, I tell, it's not even that I don't know. I don't feel the same way in terms of looking at the win the same way. Uh, that that would be much different if if Tennessee beats Vanderbilt the way that it that it did Auburn. If it was an ugly performance all around, the offense was just hideous. It was one of the worst basketball games of 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 all time, at least in the modern era of college basketball. I'm not going to look at it the same way because Tennessee should not be in that type of dogfight with, with Vanderbilt. Um, but Auburn, they are a good basketball team. They have not been good offensively, but they have been a good defensive team. Yeah. And as we know, Tennessee's offense just isn't really clicking. Uh, they, they, they've shown signs of it at times during conference play, but they've just not been able to click consistently. Uh, and, and I think that can be viewed as a, a good and a bad thing, kind of leading into to the other conversation that, that you brought up about Tennessee's offense and, and being concerned for the future. I, I think if you want to look at it from a glass half full perspective, they still have a lot of time to figure it out. They have a, a whole month and you'd rather the offense figure it out going into March rather than figure it out in January and then not be playing its best basketball when March does arrive. So that that's one positive way to look at it. And then the negative way to look at it is, well, oh, this this offense is is never going to figure it out. And how in the world can you trust this offense in March to win 3-4 straight games? Not and not that the offense is going to be relied upon to win the games uh, because we know that this team hangs its hat on the defensive end and on the the rebounding but the offense is going to have to execute in, in the postseason, no matter what the defense does. And you don't really trust this offense to to show up even in the slightest to, to complement the defense for, for three or four straight games. So so that is a concern. And then I did want to say that I agree with you uh, on that final play there at the end. I, I do think Olivier Comois fouled Wendell Green. Uh, I, I think he pushed the screener into Wendell. And then I think that he did not give Wendell room to land correct but i also do not at all fault the referee for not making that call and i and i'm not saying this because i cover tennessee i like that they didn't give uh auburn the call if if that was santiago Vescovi or josiah jordan james and all they did was flop 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 around like a fish out of water constantly all afternoon long and they didn't get a call because they were flopping, I would appreciate that as well. So it's not just the, a Tennessee thing. If the roles were reversed, I would feel the same way. I am so anti-flopping. I absolutely despise it. it. It is so bad for basketball. And I love that they have enforced this new flopping rule this season because it goes on so much. And although I do think Olivia Comeoff fouled Wendell Green, Wendell Green was also flopping. On that play. And, and he can tweet that yeah, he, he was he
1: wrapped his legs around him like like he yeah, was like he, he was he can, like he was Black Widow or something. He he
2: can tweet that he's wrapping his legs around him because Olivier did not give him any room to land. He he wrapped his legs around Olivier because that that's all Wendell Green does. He He's trying to draw a foul. He's not trying to make a basketball shot when, when he shoots a basketball. He's trying to draw a foul. And, and that's what he was doing in that play. But the ref isn't going to call that when that's all you've been doing all game long. So uh, I do think that Olivier fouled and, you know, Wendell Green, I believe, has the third highest free throw percentage in the SEC. If I'm Auburn, I, I know it's uh, it- it's a tall task, even for a good th- free throw shooter to to go to the line with no time on the clock and you have to make all three to go to overtime. That That is a difficult task. But if you're going to ask somebody in the SEC to do it, Wendell Green's one of the first people you're asking to try and attempt that. So if you're Auburn, you certainly want to go to the line and and have that opportunity. But I do appreciate for the game of basketball. It has nothing to do with Auburn or Tennessee. If it happens tonight between Arkansas and and Alabama, I think is playing tonight, or or A and M and Arkansas, whoever it is. If it happens in that game, I will appreciate the referee for not blowing his whistle. We should not be rewarding people who consistently flop all the time. There's a difference between being aggressive and being strong and trying to get to the basket to get to the free throw line and flopping like a fish all afternoon to get to the free throw line. And I really, really appreciate that the referees did not reward Wendell Green for all the flopping he did on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's no doubting that – well, I, I can't say there's no doubting. Uh, I, I'm not going to – I only speak for myself. For, from, from my perspective, I think if Rick Barnes' tenure at Tennessee had gone exactly the same way it's gone and Bruce Pearl hadn't been at Auburn, I think there would still be some frustration with postseason Barnes' talk and some of the other things, the occasional offensive stuff. But to me, there is absolutely no question, in my mind anyway, that Bruce Pearl going to Auburn and doing what he's done – and getting to a Final Four once and you know, winning the SEC and uh, beating Barnes a few times along the way, that has complicated the relationship between Barnes and this fan base. There's no way around that. You know, Bruce Pearl could go outside in, in downtown Knoxville and uh, freaking shoot somebody, and a lot of people around here would not want him in jail. He, he is a beloved figure here for, for sort of the, the rebirth of the basketball program and the pride that came with it and his attitude, the way he embraced the fans. He is a beloved man to a lot of people around here. No matter what he did, no matter what he did, no matter how much embarrassment he caused the university, there are people who love him, and that's fine. That is absolutely their right to do it. That has, however, complicated things with Barnes, and I think it's made his the, some of the fans' frustration with him. I think it multiplies it by at least two because they've they they still see the X come to town every now and then and they remember oh well he got to a final four. Well okay yeah, he's been to one and Barnes has been to one that's you know uh, that's how it, that's how it's gone. not for Tennessee um, but beating Auburn is something that is not going to make those problems go away um, but it helps maybe a little bit, but it's still the relationship and I've been talking to a few other people in the media, and I, I didn't get their permission to mention their names on the podcast, so I won't do it. But there is a real confusion from, from people who cover Tennessee or for, from national people who, who, who cover lots of college basketball who don't understand why the frustration with Tennessee's fan base is to the extent that it is. Because the, the, the level of disconnect between a team that is ranked this highly and a fan base that just a lot of people will not get on board, will will not fully invest. It it it's I really hate to keep talking about it, but it is so unusual that I think it, it has to be discussed. And it's it's there is no right or wrong. That let me get let me get this straight. There is no right or wrong. There is the way that you feel, and the way that you think, and the way that you think and feel is exactly the way you think and feel. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's what you think. With that said, I don't understand it, and I would be lying if I said I did. I I think it is em, embellished. I think it is exaggerated. I think it is blown out of proportion. Let me get some more synonyms here. I just think it's taken to another level from where it should be because across college basketball right now, you might have Purdue, maybe Purdue, that's a little bit better, you know, a little bit better than the pack. But then you got a pack of about 15 or 20 teams, and there's not that much difference between them. Any of them could win a title. Tennessee is toward the top of that group. I don't understand if you have a team this far into a season, 19-4 and record, has a chance, still outside chance to win the SEC, has a chance to make a deep run in March. I, I just don't understand the – the the hesitation for people to be like hey let's let's support this and see where it goes cuz it you're you're good
2: yeah and and you you and i somewhat disagree on this uh and, and we've had this conversation two or,
1: two or three but times but i still think people have the right to feel how they want to feel and think how they want to think about it i'm not saying they're wrong i'm saying i don't get it
2: right oh no i know and i'm i'm not saying that that you are when i say what i'm about to say uh, what I'm about to say is uh, my my feeling. If if I was having a, a conversation with Patrick Brown or, or Ryan Callahan right now, it has nothing to do with with what you just said. I I think it's being kind of blown out of proportion by by the, the fellow media members. To, to be honest with you, um, I is is there a higher percentage of people that get disgruntled with basketball? Than football? Yes, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Um, and do I believe it's a small minority that is very loud? Yes, I do, yeah. but that small minority is also bigger than what the small minority would be for football or or maybe even baseball. But my point is, so like I agree with what you all are, are saying there. And look, I I see the numbers on the things that that we write and so on and, and so forth. I see the engagements on social media and, and what gets the clicks and the retweets and the likes and all that. I see it because I live it, and that's part of my job. So there's no doubt that there is a, a funky feeling with this basketball team where where I separate from you and, and others who have gone on their Twitter rampage the last couple of weeks. <laughs> a rampage? Is... Like, I, I, I don't I don't see why it's confusing. I, I think it's pretty cut and dry as to why people are not all in on this basketball team. We, we've reached the point under Rick Barnes where they want more in the NCAA tournament. And we're not in the NCAA tournament right now. And just because they want more in March doesn't mean that that people aren't appreciating beating bruce pearl because the the majority of the sentiment that i saw on social media and on the message boards over the weekend was i'm really glad we beat bruce pearl that was the first comment out of the mouth but then also the second comment was oh but that offense i hope they can figure out before march and i don't see what's wrong with feeling that way and right now i don't care what the defensive metrics say like they don't pass the eye test they can be ranked number two in Kempom. They're not the second best team in basketball right now. And analytics are, are very important. They're very helpful. There's no doubt about that. But they don't pass the eye test. I'm sorry. They're, they're not the second best team in the country. I don't think they're a top 10 basketball team right now. Do Ooh. I think that they can win a national title and, and make it to a Final Four? Yes, I absolutely think that they can but they have to improve so much on the offensive end if they are actually going to do that. Because the defense can can continue to do what it's doing and it's great and, and that's perfectly fine, but it's not going to achieve the goals that they want to achieve if the offense doesn't step up, grab the bull by the horns, and improves. Like it, it's it's frustrating to watch. And that's why there's this discourse amongst fans right now. So I, I don't understand why why that's so confusing because it's not that people are just totally wiping out the success that they're having during the regular season. That There are those loud minorities. Yes, I recognize those, but the majority of people are appreciating what is being done in the regular season. They're still tuning in. They're still paying attention. They just have a hard time to, to be super elated and, and super excited about this basketball team because there are red flags and i think the flags are are standing pretty tall and like it's human nature to kind of see what's coming and be reluctant to be excited about what's coming so i think people recognize that this team has a ton of potential in march but at this point how could you how could you trust the offense to obtain those things in march
1: well i would say the 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 flip side of that I would agree with the fact that right now, with the eye test, Tennessee is not a top-two team nationally right now. I do think it's still very much a top-ten team, though, right now. And the reason I say that is because this defense, ever since uh, Pomeroy started tracking this at the start of the century or whatever, this is right now the best defense that has existed in this century in college basketball. So normally when a team is that good defensively, it's a little bit better offensively as well so the numbers can work themselves out but it is it is unprecedented that a team is like ranked number 60 in one of the two ways you can be ranked and in the and in the overall is is second that that is how good Tennessee's defense is i mean Tennessee played offense like uh it was bad last week across the board offensively And in that game, Tennessee still went to Gainesville and led by six with like 10 minutes left in the game and beat a ranked Auburn team. Like in that week, despite being just horrible, horrible on offense, uh, most teams, that's two blowout losses. This defense, it makes it so hard to calculate what, what will happen in games because you have to go truly bonkers from three uh, normally to, to score more than like 60, 65 points on this team. You just, you just do. Um, or maybe you have a big man who's a cheat code like Edie at Purdue or somebody like that who could give you problems like Dickinson from Michigan did last year. But that's why it's hard to figure out because we're looking at – it's kind of like a white whale. Like we found a team that is metrically impossible to understand because the defense gives you a chance to win every single game that you play – And the offense is going to have some stink bombs, but you don't know when they are. So it's still, to me, a team that if it were a series, you would feel great about. But in a one-off, you're always going to be a little nervous because those bombs can happen at any point. We'll say, all these bombs have come against teams that have, like, top 20 defenses. Uh, The only one that wasn't was Kentucky, and that's been a really erratic defense, but sometimes very good. Like, even Colorado, as bad as that team is, 20th nationally in defense. um, You know, Florida, top 10 in defense. Um, Auburn top 12 or top so right there in defense. All of those teams uh, are right there in near the top 20 nationally in defense. All of them are. It was the same last year. So they're not having these games traditionally against a lot of bad defenses. It's good defenses that are giving them those issues. And that's a concern because that means maybe we've seen the ceiling of this offense against good teams, defensive teams, and it's, it's not great. But you can't say that because Texas also has a top 10 defense and Tennessee scored like, what, 82 points and could have had more in that game. So I don't think we're looking at a team that right now is a top two team, but I still think we're definitely looking at a team that's a top 10 team because they're just metrically different, but and they're analytically different, but it's still right there because their defense is so freaking good. I mean, their field goal percentage defense could end up being, and I'm not exaggerating here, one of if not the very best in college basketball history their field goal percentage defense part of it it is unbelievable how good they're how good they've been there it's unbelievable so and they're a top 5 rebounding team and uh, rebounding nationally rebounding margin they're 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 so good in those areas that it's like being born with a runner on third base you just got to put the ball in play and they don't always do that but you know that—that's why I think it, it's a really fun discussion to have because I think two people who actually know ball can look at this team at completely different ways, and I think we're both people who know ball, but we have we look at this team right now in a different light because they're so different. They're so different. Well, we, we've we've not seen a lot of teams quite like this one, really. When you well, look at the I, numbers,
2: I, I was I was speaking to kind of why fans aren't gung ho either is, is that they're not. Super entertaining. They're not fun games to watch. I mean,
1: last week was – No, 95-92 would be a lot more fun to watch.
2: Yes, it would. And I think it was you that tweeted like you would still have concerns coming out of that type of basketball game because the, the defense wasn't getting any stops. But it, it's, it's not even like 95-92. I mean, can, it's 72, seventy two seventy. 72-70. I mean, something like that. I mean, it it, it was so bad last week. And, and when, when it has been bad this year – It has been absolutely disturbing types types of basketball games that are setting the sport back 100 years. I mean, that's how bad the the basketball has been when it has been bad this season. And when when you've had as as many duds and I hesitate to say as many because that, that probably makes it seem like like they've had more than they actually have. But when you've had Colorado, Kentucky, Florida, and I'll I'll throw Auburn in there just for the sake of Mm -hmm. it, it kind of piles on to the offensive concern. I mean, that that just really doesn't allow folks to get excited for March and media members in this town can can talk about how Tennessee's only ever made it to one elite aid and. Uh, how you know Tennessee doesn't traditionally have a ton of, of tournament success. That is all very, very accurate and, and expectations should be somewhat tempered in that manner. But like it's okay for expectations to change over time, over the course of a decade. Absolutely. When when you have more resources and, and better talent. And like this Tennessee basketball program with where it, it it is at, like they should have more success in the NCAA tournament. And it's okay for fans to want more success in March. That is perfectly okay, while also appreciating regular season results. But when you're in the regular season, and you're seeing these types of losses against Colorado, and against Kentucky, and against Florida, and a couple of, of struggles offensively, like, like in the Auburn game, people aren't going to just jump for joy after watching those games. And, and they shouldn't, and, and they shouldn't. To, to March, and, and that's why but we've reached that point of the Rick Barnes tenure where success in the postseason matters more than success during the regular season. Because we know that they're going to be successful in the regular season. We know that they're going to be a tournament team, so people have adjusted their expectations. And whether that's right or wrong is is a different conversation, but that, that is why you don't see the it excitement exists. level
1: yeah.
2: being what people think that it should be so I, I again I, I've said it numerous times. Uh, I, I think that this this team absolutely has a chance to to make a deep run in the tournament is it's just hard to look ahead to march and and be confident in even though the defense is what it is the offense when when it's crunch time producing and winning big games against the the sports best teams, to make that deep run and when when that is a concern the excitement level is not going to be there but I, this team again has all the potential in the world and I preached it since the beginning of December when they were getting ready to play Maryland and Brooklyn like I don't think the offense is a finished product I still don't uh that they, they have some some big time concerns in in my opinion uh the the free throw shooting that, that will get you sent home in a heartbeat in, in March because you can't close out games. I mean, it, it nearly cost them the, the Auburn game when, when Tobey Awaka couldn't step to the line and knock down one of two free throws. And, and I realize that he's a big man and a postman, but you can have postmen that, that make the free throws yeah, as so He's well. a freshman. It,
1: he's a freshman, too.
2: Yeah, he is, and, and I'm not trying to pile on him. It's a team issue, which, in my opinion – peels back a, a layer of a bigger issue, and, and that's that this team lacks shooters. You have Santiago Vescovi, and that's pretty much it. I think Tyreek Key is a shooter, but I don't think he's being used properly. Uh, Josiah Jordan-James has also developed into a shooter, uh, and Zakai is better than what he's played the, the last couple of weeks. But when outside of Santi and, and really Tyreek, who do you look at as like, oh, they're a shooter? Like that that's what they're known for. Like Zakai can make shots, obviously. He is a a good shooter, but that's not what he's known for, like a Santiago Vescovi. Josiah Jordan James is more of a all around player. And I think that's why you continue to have these duds, is because you don't have uh enough guys that, that can knock down open shots. You don't have guys that can create on their about own to say, or create their the own, own and get to the rim, yeah. And I I really do like Olivier Kamwa as a basketball player. I, I think he is very talented. I think he's very skilled. I, I think he has a ton of potential. But all that doesn't matter if you can't find a level of consistency, and that also is hurting them, that they don't have a consistent player in the post that can go get them a bucket. So uh, there, there are concerns offensively, but I, I think that this team will, will be in a much better situation offensively going into the NCAA tournament than what we see today. I mean, it's a, it's a month yeah. away. This team has a lot of room to improve.
1: Yeah, I agree. And we're, we're way, we're way overdue for break, but I'll, I'll just say the last thing before we go to break is I, my question. It's not that, I, how do I put this? I think there's a difference between skepticism and defeatism. And I just am surprised by the amount of defeatism that I'm sensing. It's it's it, it, skepticism is one thing. Ah, uh, defeatism. Defeatism is another, and uh, I, I just—that's where I'm a little bit surprised—is that it feels more like defeatism from people than it does skepticism. Skepticism is very warranted. Skepticism is healthy. Skepticism is needed for for an offense like this right now. If you're not skeptical about this offense, you're naive. Let's be honest about that.
2: Well, I think the I think the loud minority is defeated, but I think the majority of the fan base. Who think clearly and are rational? I think they are skeptic about about what's I just, to come. I
1: just think that group's getting pulled um, into and closer to that. I think that vocal minority's yeah. got some yeah. got some pull and is starting to draw more people yeah, to their to fair. their crowd. Like
2: right? I said earlier, the 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 loud minority with basketball is a larger group than what it probably would be with football or, or what it may even prove to be with baseball uh at some point if if tony can't get over the hump in in omaha but i I do think at the end of the day i think people fail to 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 remember that like twitter and facebook is not real life like like we think that it is in real time but in in the grand scheme of things like it's not real life and and it's not an accurate reflection of how the fan base feels as a whole so i i do but 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 do you you think that
1: wouldn't you say the arena tells you a story too, though? And until the past couple of weeks, maybe the home schedule just wasn't very good early on. And that was the it. home
2: schedule has been crap. That, that's the other thing. Like everybody wanted to, to crap on the attendance or not necessarily the attendance, but the crowd for the Kentucky game. And even a little bit, the crowd for the the Texas game and Auburn game, though, those have been the three big home conference games and they're all sold out. And Also, the games coming up are already sold out weeks in advance, which tells me that the majority of the fan base is is not defeated and they're they're just kind (laughs) of a little nervous about March. But I I, I will say, and I know we're long overdue for a break, but the the crowds have have not necessarily been what they have been in years past, like as loud as we saw with Grant and and Admiral and, and some of those other games. But it's been loud in Thompson Bowling Arena, and and maybe it's just me and and Wes and I sit right on top of the student section and and they are in our ear the entire game. So maybe it feels louder to me. But when Tennessee opened the game against Kentucky on an 8-0 run, it was extremely loud in Thompson Bowling Arena. And then Tennessee played like crap the rest of the game. And it's hard for fans to to get involved. Like that's the nature of sports. Like people just aren't gonna be gung-ho from start to finish, like the way we think that they should be when the team is struggling as much as they are. It was really loud against Texas for the entire game. And despite the struggles offensively against Auburn, it was really loud against Auburn this past past Saturday. Was it as loud as it has been and can be? No, I think that is fair to point out. But there are people out here acting as if the the crowds have, and I'm not talking about you as as if the crowds have been absolutely terrible. And that's not been the case at all, especially given how terrible the home schedule has been up until that Kentucky game.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I'll I'll just say this. I'll, I'll say that, that it's again, just to double down, triple down, quadruple down on this. I am not criticizing. Anyone's opinion or thoughts or feelings, People have the right to absolutely think whatever they want. What I am saying and have been saying is that I don't understand why it's to the level it is. That that's, that's my only point is I'm not saying that you're wrong and I'm right or anyone out there is wrong and I'm right. I'm saying I don't understand. So, again, if they bow out in the first weekend of the tournament, then – all these people are going to be lining up to say, I told you so. And that's how life goes. And, uh, you know, they won't be wrong. That they, they will not be wrong. So uh, we'll step away for just a second, pay some bills, listen to some products, services, uh, in-house ads, et cetera. And then we'll come right back here and talk about this week here on uh, the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Money!
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue.
1: Welcome back to the Go Boss 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever product, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Ben McKee coming to you from Ben McKee's house here on a beautiful, uh, sunny, warm, uh, unseasonably warm Tuesday afternoon here for f- early February. Uh, in God's own Knoxville, Tennessee, talking primarily Tennessee basketball, a little bit of baseball we discussed early on, also, um, but uh, mostly basketball in this podcast. As Tennessee, the the Vols fell from two to six in the polls this week after going one one last week, went to uh, Florida and lost uh, surprisingly. Went uh, came back home, beat twenty fifth ranked Auburn uh, in a rock fight, uh, and the offense has been struggling. Um, so the Vols have gone from two to six this week, uh, hosting. Uh, Missouri on Saturday. But before that, going to Nashville to play in state rival Vanderbilt uh, on Wednesday night there in Memorial Gym. We got a lot to talk about, and we will do that after just a quick request from our end. If you could take about a minute out of your day right now, let's say 60 seconds, 70, 75 seconds, 90 seconds, tops, go in there, rate, and review, and subscribe to this podcast. We really would appreciate it. Uh, if you're just listening on the website there at govalls247.com, that's fine. We still love you. There's no wrong way to consume this podcast. What helps us out the most, though, is if you go in there on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world, you can cast a fine pod. You can find this GoBall 24-7 podcast. We do it for free. We're happy to do it. It's a labor of love. No complaints from this end. Uh, other than I can't really talk right now, but but other than that, no complaints really from this end. Um, but what helps us out the most is if you go do those things, and since uh, we're doing this for free, I don't think it's too much to ask to rate, review, subscribe, etc. Go tell people you see around town, tell your friends, uh, tell people, tell your frenemies, tell people you see around town, tell anyone else you see wearing orange. Uh, And you never know. That could be your new best friend. That could be your your new partner. That that could be your partner in crime if you're a criminal. Anything is possible with karma. Pay it forward. If you're already doing all those things, thank you. We love you. If not... I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Ben, back to business. Tennessee uh, has the aforementioned uh, road trip to Vanderbilt on Wednesday. Then the Vols come home on Saturday and play Missouri. And these games, to me feel like f around and find out games. Um, because I think going to Vanderbilt uh, in a gym where obviously you know you'll have a bunch of fans there, but you'll also have a bunch of people who hate you more than life itself uh, and and a team with a coach that has always schemed against you very well, that knows you very well, uh, and a, a different kind of gym. So that game, if Tennessee takes care of business, that's a win. Um, but if Tennessee plays badly, it absolutely could be a loss because Vanderbilt has beaten some pretty decent teams this season. Vanderbilt, I think, is a really well-coached team. Liam Robbins is a tough matchup for Tennessee right now, Uh, and I think there's a lot of, I don't want to say concern, but awareness has got to be there. And then Saturday, um, a Mizzou team that is really fast, really up and down, a lot of possessions. Um, That's a team that doesn't have a lot of size, but – has some guys who can hurt you and they can get hot from three and they can, they, they can make your life hard. So I would say this is kind of an F round and find out week, Ben.
2: I, I, I think it definitely is with Vanderbilt. Tennessee has absolutely no business losing to this Vanderbilt team. Um, th- this isn't even the, the, the Vanderbilt teams at, at the end of the Stallings era, Kevin Stallings era, uh, th- those teams had talent and outside of Liam Robbins and uh, a couple of other guys. I mean, Miles Studi, uh, he, he's a good basketball player. Uh, he, he and Liam Robbins are, are capable of, of having big nights. Um, but overall, as a team, this Vanderbilt team does lack talent. They're, they're 100th and Ken Palm, and, and they've been pretty good offensively, which is weird because they lost Scottie Pippen Jr. over the offseason, and, and they've gotten better offensively probably. Because they're they're not so reliant on one player, but they're 56th in, in Ken Palm, so that that'll be a pretty nice matchup uh, for for Tennessee's defense. But it, it'll be very disappointing if this Tennessee offense cannot manufacture points uh, against Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt is absolutely atrocious on the defensive end. They are 184th, 184th,
1: which is basically all- mid pack.
2: Yes, but for a SEC basketball team, yeah. that is really, really bad because yeah. you're, you're, they're down there with the teams that are in the the lower levels of of college basketball. Two years, I mean, you make a fair Three hundred and thirty something teams in college basketball. That that's why they're fifty sixth offensive rating they're, they're 56 in offensive efficiency that's that's why that's actually pretty good you, you you hear that in football and you think oh well that that's not good there's yeah. only 138. yeah there's three, when there's
1: 363 it's a different game yeah
2: correct F- 56 out of 363 is a different game and you're right the the defense is middle of the pack but in the sec they're 14th in ken palm so it, it is ken palm's worst defense in the sec uh, teams shoot well against them. They don't turn teams over. Teams grab a lot of offensive rebounds against them. Uh, it it This is going to be a, a really disappointing performance if, if Tennessee's offense continues on the trend that it, it has been continuing on. Like, like this is not a game where you should struggle to get to 50 points. I mean, th- this is a game where you should sc- should score 80. Uh, I mean, th- that's really how bad Vanderbilt's at defense At least in
1: the is. 70s, yeah, at least.
2: 80. This Vanderbilt defense is booty. You, you wanted to talk about doo-doo earlier. This Vanderbilt defense is doo-doo. Like, there's no reason that Tennessee's offense should struggle uh, on Wednesday night. And and look, not even just the personnel on the team for Vanderbilt. It's going to be a home game for Tennessee. The Vanderbilt fans, the, the few that there are, they're not interested in basketball at, at the moment. They're, they're just not. There, there's really not a, a home court advantage, even with the quirkiness of that arena. The, the quirkiness itself it is an advantage but I don't I don't think that it is when you play Tennessee because Rick Barnes uh, has now coached against Vanderbilt in 16 games I don't know how many of those have been at Vanderbilt but he he's very familiar with Memorial Gymnasium at this point I guess since it's uh, his eighth year with Tennessee, this this will be his eighth time coaching uh, in Memorial. So that that's not going to be a, a new thing that he's going to have to deal with as a coach. He's used to coaching from the baseline. So even the quirkiness of the arena is not going to be an advantage. So uh, it's going to be a home game for Tennessee. It, it, it is by far uh, <laughs> on paper uh, a game Tennessee should have a, a tremendous amount of success uh, against. They, they did only beat Tennessee. Uh, to, uh, beat Vanderbilt by 11 last time when they played and and I say only 11 as if that's not an accomplishment that that's a that's a good number uh, against an SEC basketball team but Liam Robbins was a, a bit of a problem at times scored 18 in, in that game and he he has the potential to 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 slow down Tennessee on both ends just because you don't know what you're going to get from Tennessee's post play uh night in and night out. So I do think it it is the case with with this Vanderbilt team. You, you mess around and and you're really going to wreck some things. Uh, Missouri is actually a really good basketball team. Maybe I shouldn't say really good because they're not top 25, but they were on. Yeah, they're they're they're, they they're on,
1: flawed, but they're feisty. Yes,
2: yeah, so I I would lean towards them being good more so than <laughs> than bad, as simple as that sounds. They were on the verge of being ranked in the top 25 until they lost at Mississippi State. Uh, the, this past weekend. I mean, Missouri has some big wins uh, on its resume. They beat Iowa State by 17 in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. They beat Arkansas at home. They they killed Kentucky at the beginning of SEC play. Uh, they, they killed Illinois by 22 on a neutral site. Uh, and they beat a UCF team that's just outside of the top 50 uh, in Kim Palm uh, as well earlier this year. So th- that's a, a really good Missouri team. And, and Kobe Brown, uh, fellow Huntsville native, is one of my favorite players yeah. to, to watch in the SEC. Been that, there forever. Is, God, he's
1: been there forever.
2: I know. He, he is really, really good. And uh, I really like Dennis Gates. Uh, I think he's he's got a tremendous personality. And he has his team believing. So that that is obviously a game Tennessee should win. There, there's no doubt about that. Um, but it's not just uh, show up and you're, you're going to win uh, type of situation for Tennessee. So – I I pretty much agree with your sentiment, uh, especially against Vanderbilt, but I do think it's a a little bit more of a difficult challenge uh, against Missouri on Saturday. Yeah,
1: and I I imagine we'll have more time to discuss Missouri, excuse me, a little bit later in the week. But Missouri is a team that the coach brought, excuse me, God, there goes my voice. Um, The coach brought a lot of guys with him, uh, some of the guys with him, some of the transfers in. They got a veteran team. there are guys that are a little bit undersized but they're really really good college basketball players and they get up and down the floor Uh, they have a guy who's a small post player but he's able to do things that you wouldn't think a guy that size is able to do Um, and and they'll spread it out and they'll shoot it and they'll they'll give you some problems they'll get out and run so um, that 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 is a different kind of matchup for Tennessee and one that Honestly, if that game was in Columbia, I would put Tennessee in a in a danger zone for it. Um, but but having it in Knoxville is is nice. But were you did you want to talk about Mizzou or Vanderbilt, Ben? I see your I see the I, hand I raised. To throw in,
2: I, I meant and and try to give you a minute to to come back from the dead. Um, but yeah, Toby awaka needs needs to play more tomorrow night against Vanderbilt. Uh, he he to me at, at least in my eyes has passed Jonas Adu uh at this point in the season. I think Jonas has a, a ton of potential. I, I really do, especially with that length and, and that athleticism. Uh and he and I'm not giving up on him. I just think in the pecking order, uh, especially against the bigger guy like a Liam Robbins, I think I think the first post off the bench, it, it'll probably be Urosh because this this game does fit Urosh's style. Yeah. But when you go to that third post player, I, I think you got to go to ToBe, but before you go to Liam Robbins, I, I know there's the the aspect of longer guys giving guys issues. That's right? what that's that what I was going to say. Yeah, natural science. But I, I would like to see Jonas play with more aggression. Uh, he, he does have the length to irritate opponents, but I don't think he's as aggressive as he needs to be, and and that allows him. To get pushed around inside, and uh, you obviously are giving up a, a ton of length if you choose to go to Tobey. But what Tobey does not have in length, he has in strength. Uh, he he will absolutely bully ball you and, and make your life tough in, in a different manner. Uh, and, and quite frankly, right now in my head, just kind of watching the, the Auburn game, I I think Tobey ha- has surpassed Jonas, uh, and and he would be my third post player. Uh, that, that I utilize second off the bench behind Urosh in this game. He's gotta have more minutes. He he with a post that is too inconsistent right now, he needs more minutes.
1: Yeah, I, I think um in ninety nine percent of games, I would completely agree with you. I do wonder about the length against Robbins because he he does those turnaround jumpers and those things like that. And uh I don't think Awaka has the length to really bother those. So if Awaka sits there and bullies him and pushes him, then he'll just turn around and flick that ball over him probably and still get it in the bucket. Um, but I do agree with your larger point overall uh, about Awaka, and, and I agree with your point about Adu. I, I don't know if he's – I can't figure out if he's not aggressive enough or he's just not quite strong enough yet. I had some of those concerns. It was a little bit like Kyle Alexander early in his career. He's both whereas you just he could get physically pushed around a little bit. And, and that, to me, like if he's not, especially if his feet aren't set, if he's not ready for contact, then he is going to, it's like the uh, inflatable arm guy at the dealership. Like if he's not, like the wind, the stiff breeze is going to knock him down if he's not set. Because Garrett Maidenwald is a miracle worker, um, but but when you have a frame like Adu's, it just takes time. It just does. Like ideally, you could have redshirted him last year, but they didn't get the chance to because they needed him some for some minutes from him because they couldn't. They didn't know what they were getting out of Huntley Hatfield and some other things. So, I think to me, it's not the worst idea to just go ahead and and say screw it. Let's go with a Waka more now. I would wonder about doing that specifically Wednesday, Um, but if it's one of those deals that at some point you think you're going to do it anyway. Why not go ahead and do it? And that way, maybe you can do that. And if Robbins quickly picks on Awaka a couple times and just drops those little floaters over his head, then you say, okay, this isn't going to work like you thought it was. Let's go ahead and put Adu in there now. Maybe you could do it that way. That would be fine, too. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there. But I do think there's a right answer in that Awaka needs more minutes. Because Barnes keeps wanting to give Meshack and Awaka more minutes, and I understand it in both cases, but I really, really understand it in a walkers case. Because with Meshack, I want to understand it, and I do, but he, he needs scores around him. And so if you're putting him – I don't know that a time when you're struggling to score is the best time to throw him into the mix more because he's just not developed enough offensively yet to be a consistent shooter – that you need because if you don't have an offense that has at least three, preferably four perimeter shooters on the floor at all times in this era, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. That's just how it is in this era. So I do agree with what you're saying, Ben. I just – I wonder about the matchup itself and I wonder – because I do want to give Mayshack some credit. He did some really good things in that Auburn game. He helped them a lot. Um, But to me, it would be a hard time to put him in more now, right now. But with a walk-up, maybe you just say screw it and do it.
2: Yeah, I, I just right now on February 7th, I trust Tobey Awaka slightly more than I trust Jonas Adu. Uh, I, I, I think both are uh, exciting prospects that Tennessee has on, on its roster, and I think that they can just be absolutely tremendous players as juniors and seniors. I, I imagine that they'll be very fun to, to watch at that point in, in their career if, if they continue to do the right things and continue to work and continue to get better. I just, at this moment, I trust Tobey more than I trust Jonas. And, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with your thinking on the matchup with Robbins. I, I would prefer that length as well. But the, the length against Colin Castleton and, and the length against Jani Broome that you could have used, he wasn't ready for it. He didn't show up ready for it. So uh, if if that's been the case the, the last couple of games, I, I'm going to Tobey first. And then like you said, if if Tobey's kind of having a freshman moment and, and maybe fouling a little bit too much or or out of place, which has become less of an issue, uh, I, I've particularly noticed that Tobey has has been in place in practice. So that, that was something that Barnes was hitting him over the head. Uh, about early in the season during practice is just quite frankly being where he needs to be and, and now it's more so about just executing he, he's where he needs to be now it's more so just about not having those freshman moments and executing the way that he is supposed to execute so uh, and I think with Jonas I, I think it's a, a little bit of both physical and mental I, I think mentally he needs to become stronger and I think physically he needs to become stronger and, and look he's only Midway through his true sophomore season, he he's not supposed to be a finished product at this point, so I, I'm not at all giving up on him. I think he can still be a big piece to, to this year's team. I just right now when you're trying to figure out some inconsistencies with this post, I would turn to Tobey first off the bench after I go to Urosh. And honestly, I, I I might even consider going to Tobey before I go to Urosh. Uh, that they, they play very similar games, and at least you know you're not going to get a technical foul. But Tobey, no, I'm, I'm I'm kidding when I when I say that. But uh, <laughs> kidding, but not kidding, but but not, but also kind of being serious. Uh, so it, it's something uh, to to keep an eye on for sure. And, and I'll be interested to see how, how each of those guys perform against Liam Robbins. Look, they're all going to get their opportunities. Uh, Urosh is going to get his opportunity to defend him. Tobey and Jonas, I, I would imagine they get their opportunities as well. Uh, and, and obviously it'll come down to Olivier because he he may be inconsistent. He, he may be frustrating for fans, but he is this team's best post player. He's going to continue to be in the starting lineup. Uh, he, he's going to continue to play a ton of minutes. And I think it's best to just hope that it, it finally – clicks for him from a consistency standpoint because if it ever does he he can be one of the best players in all of college basketball
1: yeah and to me it's we talk about who needs to fill some of those minutes at the five spot during the game at the end of games it's going to become why unless he's fouled out and I'll give you two words that explain the reason for that free throws uh, right now, early in the season, Plofsic was actually doing pretty well from the line. It looked like his his form was better. He, he was, he he was, I think, shooting it fairly well. Has de- definitely nosedived a little bit lately from the stripe. It's been been a challenge the past month or so uh, for him. And, and Awaka just hasn't had a, a high volume of them and is still working on it. So late in games, if they're close games, uh, you cannot have Urosh or Awaka on the floor right now. Um, in the final four minutes, because f- from the free throw line, it's just, even if you're doing a deal where you're trying to do offense defense, th- if they get rebounds and they get fouled, they're going to the line. And that's not a great situation to to be in. So it's going to be Olivier Coma. <laughs> I think like, the game is in five because it has to be.
2: Well, that the free throws. Great point. Also, their best lineup is the the small ball lineup with Josiah at the 4. And and what are coaches going to do when when it's crunch time in the game? They they're, they're going to put their best lineup on the floor and and Tennessee's best lineup is is small. And that's with Olivier at the 5, Josiah at the 4, and I don't know really who's at the 3. That that can vary game to game. Uh it, it could be Julian Phillips on the wing, it could be Tyreek Key. Uh we, you know Santi, you know Zakai Olivier Josiah is going to be in the game. The the question is who is on the wing? Is, is it Jamai? Is it Julian? Is it Tyreek? This team is probably at its best with Julian out there. There's no doubt about that. But need more he, from him. he also need more. He they need more from him. They need more from Tyreek Key. They 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 need they need more from a lot of guys, uh, quite frankly, for this offense to, to click the way that it's capable of. Because look Folks can jump down Rick's back all, all they want. His system, his offense, I'm not saying that it's not flawed. It produces open shots. This team, the, this roster, the personnel even has Florida, not been making even Florida, shots. Even Florida,
1: the shots were there, Ben. What they say, 70% or more were high-quality, high-caliber, high-percentage looks, and they made 20-something percent of them?
2: Yep. So the, the, the offense and the system is speaking or working, relatively speaking, uh, and and these guys just got to make shots. And and Rick has said that the last two games, and, and he's caught flack for, for, for saying that, oh, it's, it's never Rick. It's always the players. In this case, it, it's the truth. It, the players need to step up and, and knock down shots. They, they do. So uh, that that's another reason you're going to see that lineup on the floor at the end of the game because it, it is their best lineup. Uh, you, you trust four guards slash wings out there with Olivier more so than three guards or wings with two post players.
1: Yeah, and, and if you want to know which lineup a, a coach likes the most, don't look at his starting five. Look at his ending five. That's the ones – like last season, Tennessee' starting lineup was not the lineup Barnes trusted the most. The The lineup he trusted the most was the one with two point guards at the end of the game. That's the one that he relied on. So that that's the lineup. But it, and it just so worked out this season that now he's gone to a situation where – the one he starts is also usually the game-ending lineup, so it, it works out that way. Um, but yeah, there's 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 a lot to there's a lot to be potentially concerned about. There's a lot, though. I think you still feel pretty good about because you talk about you know the systems getting open shots, and but at the end of the day, you know the guy who recruited that team and the guy who coaches those players. You know, also needs to get those players making some of those shots more consistently. So at the end of the day, it, it does come down to coaching and it also comes down to players. So I don't think it's one or the other. And I think Barnes saying that, the, hey, the system is working, that is true. Um, but also at the end of the day, you're the one putting them in, in position to do that. Now, if they're missing layups, that's 100% on the players. There's nothing about a missed bunny that goes to anything but the player, period. Um, but if you got guys shooting mid-range outside shots, and you think they're high-quality looks and they're not going in. Are they really high-quality? Is that what that guy needs to be taking? I I, I don't know. They're saying these are shots these guys make every day in practice, so you got to trust what they go with, you know. Barnes, unlike a lot of most coaches these days, lets us see practice, lets people see practice, so you get to see stuff. So it's easier to – make sense of some of this stuff because you you know like um you know ben you're, you're there a couple hours a couple times a week and you can say yeah that guy does usually make that shot he almost always makes that shot um but in a game for whatever reason not going down lately it's contagious it go you make them and you miss them in bunches basketball is a game of runs a game of streaks a game of momentum and tennessee just needs to get it kicked back on uh, with the momentum because i i think the one of the most impressive and this is my final point ben One of the most interesting things I thought Barnes said after the game on Saturday was absolutely correct. When he was asked about what Zakai Ziegler needs to do to be more consistent, he said, I need the guys around him to put the ball in the bucket. That's what Zakai needs. Zakai doesn't need to feel like he has to put this team on his back for 40 minutes. Zakai needs the guys around him to score so he can put them in position and then he can just kind of fill in and and get his shots when he knows that the team needs them. It's a different deal when nobody's scoring that puts a lot on the point guard and um, it's frustrating, right? I mean you saw it late in the game uh, against Auburn there was a, a play where you know Ziegler was getting harassed by double teams and he he dribbled around and made just an absolutely perfect pass right in rhythm, right to Plavsic, right about two and a half, three, four feet from the rim in front. And Plavsic just missed the bunny, went up and missed it. And you can see Ziegler being like, oh, like, what do you want me to do, man? Like, let's go. And so I think it, it, it's easy to point to the point guard, but I, I think Barnes trusts his point guard. I don't think it's that. I think he needs more from the guys around him.
2: Yeah, and, and it's not. Jemai Meshack, that they're expecting to take 10 to 12 shots a game. I mean, it's the Josiah Jordan James and the Santiago Vescovies and the, and even Zakai, 0 for 10 and 0 for 7 from 3 yep. on Saturday. Those are the guys that are good shooters. It, it, it may not be what they do best. In Santi's case, it, it obviously is. Santi's one of the best shooters to ever come through this program. But th- those guys are still really good shooters, all three of them. Ah, uh, Julian Phillips is, is a better shooter than he's shown early in the season, and also he probably needs to be uh, utilized a, a little more as a a corner shooter. Somebody that can can stand in the corner, and when when Santi or Zakai drive to the basket and and suck in the defense, can kick it out to Julian, and, and he can make that three. I, I've seen him do it a bunch. I, I've seen him do it in games. Uh, Tyreke Key, I think the primary ball handler role that he has tried to adapt to, I, I think that has not necessarily gone according to plan. I, I don't see how you can think that it has gone according to plan when when you look at his struggles compared to he, he opens in an exhibition scoring 26 against Gonzaga. And I know that that was an exhibition, but still Gonzaga still has a ton of good basketball players on their team. And averaging eleven points per game throughout the non-conference schedule, and, and then now he's he's like MIA on, on most nights during conference play. So I, I think utilizing him more as a scorer, which is what he does best, would also benefit this offense. So uh, again, when, when they're driving home the point that that these guys can make shots and, and need to make more shots, they're they're not talking about Jemai Meshack, uh, who has a better shot than a. Think people realize, and they actually are trying to get him to be more aggressive and shoot a couple of more times a game because he has open looks in the yeah. mid range that he can knock down, and and he just refuses to take them because he doesn't have the confidence to. Uh, but but they're not asking the Jemai Meshacks or the Olivier Cumwads or, or the Jonas Adus to to take seven to twelve shots uh, from the mid range from the perimeter throughout a game. They're they're asking their guys who are good shooters. To knock down those shots more consistently, uh, that that's why they lost to Michigan in, in the in the round of 32 last year, and that that's why the the offense has not been able to be consistent this year it is because they're not making enough shots from the perimeter. Obviously, that's not the only issue, but it's one of the biggest issues. And uh, look, if they're able to knock down shots from the perimeter, that's also going to open up things inside in the post. Uh, and, and make it easier, make life easier on Olivier Cuma and some of those other post players. Yeah, so, it,
1: but but it, it goes both ways. Like the, the Olivier Cuma's got to hit those shots because right now teams are just letting him and Placic and Awaka and Adu go one-on-one all day in the post. They're not even really helping because to do that you have to leave a shooter and they know the Tennessee's offense, all four of those guys already, if you leave a shooter, they're going to see it and they're putting the ball right there. So they know that, and so people have scouted this, and those guys inside have got to make those passes. But I will say this, also in the Auburn game, some of Tennessee's problem was, you've heard them say all season long, that sometimes they shoot outside too much early on. Right now, teams are wanting them to do that. So they are are just sort of Tennessee's forcing bad inside shots early in games when guys are open on the perimeter because they're trying to like bullheadedly establish this, just take what shot is open. It's not about do this to do that, do that to do this. It's about every possession. Where is the open shot? Where is the good shot? Take that shot. That's what I don't understand. I mean, they have this, this thing where they're like, okay, we're really going to pound it inside early on. Well, no, they've done that a few times this season and they've taken bad inside shots and passed up with good shooters on the outside because they're trying to prove a point. And I, they know more about the game than I do, but I don't get that at all. I think every possession you take where the open shot is. That's what I think.
2: Yeah, they they just need to make shots. I mean, it, it's 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 really that simple. They need to make more open shots. I, I'm I'm not saying that that Rick could, Rick is a flawless basketball coach, but he's one he he's let's see 27 games away from 800 or 27 wins away from 800 career wins. That's not by accident. That, that's not by luck. He is truly, even with, with the, the conversation around March surrounding his name, he is truly one of the best coaches to to ever coach college basketball. He's a, he's, he,
1: he's a first ballot Hall of Fame coach.
2: Yes. And, and, and there's not any doubt to that. So, I, again, I'm I'm not saying that he's just absolutely perfect and, and whatnot, but he's really, 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 really dang good and, and knows what he is doing. And simply making shots and knocking down these open shots won't solve all of the offensive issues, but they won't be ranked as low in, in offensive efficiency. They They don't have the pieces that result in the 60th most offensive team in the country. They don't. They don't. Vanderbilt's offense is rated higher than Tennessee's offense, and that should not be the case. And again, simply making shots would would not solve all of the issues. It would not all of a sudden make it the best offense in college basketball this season. But it would I think would be a top 20, top 25 offense just simply making the open shots that they
1: are capable of. I agree. I agree, and I think that now that my voice is officially gone again, and we've gone overboard on time anyway, I think it's probably a good time to leave it. But uh, we will be back later in the week for sure. We'll have a lot more to discuss. And again, this is things are things are getting thick now. You, you've got you've got basketball heading toward the stretch run. You got baseball, the number two ranked balls, getting ready to open their season. Spring football is not really that far away, if we're being honest. So. Uh, and there'll be a couple interviews with football coaches this week. So there is a lot going on right now. And um, I have got to stop talking. So Ben, I will say thank you. And uh, thanks for being here. See you, Wes. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go 247 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. i am Rucker Westrucker24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan24-7 on Twitter, and Patrick Brown is P Brown24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash Govalls24-7. You can also go to Facebook.com slash Govalls24-7, uh, where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, At GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run round the clock. Got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want. That is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got. And you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs. And that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS Paramount Viacom etc you get every show CBS has ever made commercial free you get new movies you get classic movies that rotate in every single month uh, you also get just tons of original content tons of great original Paramount Plus content and you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that. All of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That—that That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to dot 247com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.